Well, hello, friends. Welcome once again. This is Syracuse Basketball Post Game presented by Krause South. Brent Axe, Mike Waters. We are not in Hawaii. Donna DeTota got sent to Hawaii and is uh, enjoying herself immensely out there, but uh, did not get to see a win in the first of three games for the Orange in the Maui Invitational. Neither did anybody else watching, Mike, as the Orange fall to Tennessee, 73-56. to The final score there, first loss of the season for the Orange, and as we mentioned, first of three in Maui. And I, I'd imagine this is a game a lot of people were kind of keeping an eye on their phone or trying to take in one way or the other, maybe didn't get to see all of so what's the big takeaway from you having watched this game against the Volunteers in Honolulu? Well, my first main takeaway is is that Tennessee's defense is as tough as they say. Uh, the Volunteers really do get after you. They make every shot tough. They contest everything. They play with the physical nature that you would expect of a team that starts three grad transfers. You know, when you think about that, five fifth-year players – I'm sorry, not grad transfers, because three fifth-year players, only one of them is a grad transfer. Two of those guys have been in the Tennessee program for five years. That doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. College basketball, you know. So these guys are grown men. Syracuse, by contrast, doesn't even have a senior on its roster, much less a fifth-year guy. So you know, Tennessee's older. They they play physical. You could tell they made it tough on Syracuse. Now. If we're looking for take takeaways from from the Syracuse point of view, it's a 17-point loss on the scoreboard at the end of the game. But, folks, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, no. Jay Syrac- Billis said it well, Mike, that Tennessee kind of overwhelmed Syracuse down the stretch. But yep. this was a very winnable game, I'd say, for about 34, 35 minutes of this thing. They were right there, uh, Syracuse was. With about seven minutes to go, they're only down four. Uh, with uh, three minutes to go, they're only down five. And all you need is a stop and a three-pointer, and now it's a one-possession game. Yeah, they, they, it was right there for them. You know, they got to learn to, you know, finish out halves. And listen, part of that is because, again, we go back to Tennessee's maturity, their strength, uh, the way they play defense. You know, Tennessee scored the last 12 points of the game. They closed the first half on a 9-1 to run. Yeah. So when you look at like the last three or four minutes of both halves and Tennessee basically wins that that section of game 22 to one, you know, that that that's when you're playing physically, mentally strong and just physically strong. And that, and that's that's the nature of the way Tennessee plays. And that's where Syracuse has to get because they didn't play mentally strong. They made turnovers. They had possessions that weren't good possessions. They took shots that weren't good shots. Give credit to Tennessee's defense, but that wasn't all the Volunteers doing when when Syracuse was taking some bad shots. So you got to think the game better. You got to play stronger. You can't get down. But and that, but that's part of the learning process here. Hundred percent. I in. saw, and I think we're going to continue to see this in the next couple of games. Things they will learn from, right? That Colgate game, bad first half. They lock it down on pressure defense. Now they've banked that and know that. Maybe a little surprised they didn't go to that in this game, but this is a learning experience. They took some shots that just didn't go in this game. The bad shots were certainly an issue, but there were some good shots that just didn't fall, including Mike, oh, it hurts my heart to say, from the free throw line. 
Syracuse 8 of 17 in this game. Tennessee ends up 20 of 27. A little bit of a free throw disparity there. Uh, Roger Ayers and company in uh, Honolulu calling this one. Justin Taylor has been huge for the Orange so far. He unfortunately, on the scoring end at the very least, was not a contributor today. He didn't score. He was 0 for 4. He did have 7 rebounds in this game to lead Syracuse, so that counters it out. Chris Bell, the leading scorer for the second game in a row. He had 16 in this one for the Orange. Judah Mintz really struggled from uh, the perspective. He got into foul trouble. They take him out in the first half, Mike, and it was interesting to see how the offense kind of distributed, how J.J. Starling took over a little bit, the, the, the ball distribution. Bell getting open for some threes and kind of what the offense looks like with Judah versus what the offense looks like without him. Yeah, with Judah on the bench for the majority of the first half due to foul troubles, you know, Syracuse hung in there. You know, they they kind of played through that and until, again, those fateful last three or four minutes of the half when, when Tennessee, you know, rushed past and took a halftime lead. But J.J. Starling did well enough, but they lack a little punch without him. You know, you're, you're going to struggle to score when you're going up against Tennessee anyway. And without Judah on the floor to every once in a while just force the issue, you know, drive into the lane, try to, you know, get Tennessee to commit a foul. When you can't get a good shot against Tennessee, but you can find a way to get to the line, that is a way to kind of start, you know, keep pace with the balls and, and, and on the scoreboard. So without Judah, that, that's where they really missed him. Uh, defensive end, I thought they played well. You know, except for, again, those those last three minutes of the game when Tennessee scored those 12 points, you know, that 12-0 to run. You know, with three minutes to go in the game, you know, Tennessee had only 61 points. Yeah, so, you know, I, they, I thought they played well defensively. They did get out-rebounded by 12. You know, that wasn't great. But Tennessee has a couple of big kids on the board, uh, Jonas Adu and – uh, Jordan, uh, Josiah, Jordan, James, JJJ, they call him, uh, both those guys with double doubles, but playing without Judah is going to be hard for Syracuse to do for long stretches of a game. Right. Yeah. And, and so you're going to have to rest him here and there, but when you have to sit him for 12 consecutive minutes due to foul trouble, and I understand why Adrian didn't want to go back to him. I mean, first of all, you played well enough without him for those first nine minutes. And then at that point, you're just hoping get to halftime and, you know, unfortunately, you weren't going to put him back in the game in the last one or two minutes of the first half. It just wouldn't have been worth the risk. At that point, you really are just relying on a few guys to don't turn the ball over, try to get us a good shot, but it, it just wasn't working. Um, you know, and even when Judah came back second half, he got on the board. He did get the foul line, but, you know, he from the field, he goes 4 of 14. You know, and he's put up a few of these games now from the field uh, where he's just not shooting the ball well, and that he has to improve that. And I'm not even talking about three-point shooting, perimeter shooting. He's got to convert you know, those drives because right. that's, that's right. the root of his game. Mike, our Syracuse Sports Insiders go right to the top of the list. You could become a Syracuse Sports Insider. Just text the word ORANGE to 315-847-3895. It's a two-week free trial, just $3.99 a month after that. We have been humming today. My thumbs are smoking because of the Syracuse football coaching search that's going on right now. 
and basketball three games in a row. You couldn't pick a better time to become a Syracuse sports insider. And here's what some of them had to say, Mike, about this one. Dave saying no one could shoot in this one. It's okay. A lot of nerves out there, but they found they could play with the big dogs. And Tennessee is a big old dog. A couple of guys looked like they were in their 30s out there. Randy says, I think interior defense is going to be an issue. If Colgate can hurt them inside, Tennessee was going to. Jim says, how did Coach Autry appear to adjust to situations interested in how he will grow into the head coach role? Mike, let me stop right there. I do have another text or two I want to mention, but did you notice anything specifically there per Jim's question about some adjustments that Coach Autry is making? I I I saw him making adjustments throughout the game. You know, he toggled his defenses. He did go to zone at a few times. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, the, it's hard to, you know, fans want to see a guy make adjustments, but really what they want to see is they want to see those adjustments have an effect, a positive effect. Right. And it, they didn't have a great positive effect today because Tennessee's good. You know, you know, when, when you went zone, Tennessee's veteran players, Santiago Piscovi, uh, JJJ, um, the, the little guard, Zach Ziegler, um, you know, they, they knew what to do. I mean, Viscovi's ball fakes, you know, they would swing the ball around. The zone is now moving. One quick ball fake and a Syracuse player launches himself into the air. And now you have this guy, he's going in there, he's playing the European game again, you know, against you. And I know he's from South America, not Europe, but go with me on this one, if you will, for just a minute. But, you know, he looks a lot like Manu Ginobili, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. You know, all the you say tricks, that? Yeah. the little stuff that he does, he gets. So here's the guy you're worried about most from three-point range, and you're playing zone. He gives you this unbelievable ball fake, and now the zone's broken. He's into the lane and kicking to another guy. So, you know, I don't know. You know, he he, he put Naheem in. He took Naheem out. He had uh, Malik in there at center. You know, he. He, he gave it a run for a little while with Kyle Cuff and J.J. Starling out there. Then he went with a bigger guard. He took Kyle back out. He had Bell in the backcourt. You know, so, no, you, you try a few things, but in a game like this, uh, listen, they're not all going to work, just partly because you're playing a seventh-ranked team in the country. Victor says they were competitive and had their opportunities, but poor foul shooting, poor shooting and rebounding a little too much. SU looked lost at times against Tennessee's pressure. You mentioned that, Mike, and played a lot of individual basketball. They just need time to gel. Benny stepped up early. Chris Bell is growing, and Judah seems to like the second half. And a couple of you guys reminded me on the text, David and Brian, that you know Justin Taylor did rebound well in this game, so at least chipped in something there when the shooting wasn't there. Speaking of first and second half, Mike, I don't know if this is the pattern, speaking of adjustments in the way that Adrian Autry is playing things out, but what I think we've seen so far is Naheem McLeod's your first half center and Malik Brown's your second half center. Is that just how the flow of the game has gone so far, or do you sense a pattern there too? Well, you know, the the whole first half, second half thing, going back to the Colgate game, throw that out the window because when you're full court pressing, you got to have Malik on the floor. Hundred percent. Yeah. So that you know that big comeback against Colgate, you had to have the the more active, athletic guy out there. I, I'm waiting for Donna uh, to you know get us uh, you know some post game reports from the locker room. You know they've talked in during the game about Naheem possibly having a little something to, uh, wrong with his back, or they had sort of a brace around him. You know, I noticed uh, after one timeout early in the second half, when he walked back to the bench, looked like he might have been favoring a side or something. So I want to make sure Naheem's okay 
before we start talking about whether Autry was deciding, you know, who to play, because right. it might not have been a big decision to make there if, if Naheem was, you know, ha- had something bothering him. I don't know. You know, the other part, too, is, you know, Tennessee didn't have like a big dominant center. I thought, they, you know, they had guys that Malik could match up against uh, well enough. You know, so it, I don't know. It, it's interesting to watch Naheem. You know, sometimes you're out there and you're like, he can take up so much space and he can defend at the rim. I'm not sure exactly how many blocks he ended up with today. I'm going to guess three or uh, maybe they gave him a fourth. Uh, let's he see here. Naheem had, I don't see it in my initial stats here, but let me uh, go into the expanded stats. He had four blocks today. Yep. Four. Yeah. Four blocks is a lot of blocks for a guy it is. who probably only, you know, played like 16, say maybe 18 minutes. So you know, he's doing what he can do. He's not a big offensive threat. He could have scored you a few more points if he had converted some free throws. He doesn't have a bad free throw motion. So it really is disappointing when he goes to the free throw line and basically goes one for four or whatever it was. Um, you know, so you know, I thought they got decent production out of the big kid. But listen, uh, you know, Malik's a guy that I think is more intriguing in terms of what he can give you both, you know, on the offensive end and allowing you to extend your defense. So, you know, maybe at that point in the game, especially when you're having to pressure more, that's when you're going to see Malik. Mike, uh, Chris Bell, leading scorer for the second game in a row. Mm -hmm. I think that Billis made a good point that you've got to make Bell put the ball on the deck. If you give him that kind of, he loves the wing, loves that wing three, corner three, kind of in between top of the key and the corner. He can get that off. He has, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a methodical shot. It's not a snap shot. It's not a catch and shoot. He kind of has to almost brace himself for a second, get it off. But if you let him get him off, he's going to hit it. He hit a couple inside. This is interesting how, you know, especially today with Judah out of the mix in the first half, that Chris is becoming a go-to offensive player. Not really surprised to hear that, but how have you seen that evolve with the, the key role he's taken, uh, particularly on the offensive end these past two games? Well, he and Justin Taylor are your primary three-point threats. And when you have guards like JJ and Judah who are going to drive, it, it's not always going to be a finish at the rim for those guys. Sometimes they're going to have to drive in there and have their eyes up and look for a shooter on the wing. J, JJ today was the one that got Chris Bell going with a really pretty drive and a great look and found Chris in the corner. So, you know, when you mentioned earlier, it wasn't a great night offensively for Justin Taylor. He missed all of his shots. Um, boy, if you could have gotten a couple of his threes to go down, that could have changed the complexion of the game. But, you know, Chris Bell got off to a little bit of a shaky start to the season, If you go, especially if you include the, the exhibition games where he didn't shoot it great. But it is good to see him now knocking down a few threes for Syracuse uh, like he has in these last two games. And they're going to need him to continue to do that. And they really need Justin, too. You can't keep going one guy on, one guy off. Because if these are your two primary guys, it's not like one of your guards are, are going to have a great night from three-point shooting range. It's really on these two wing guys. And you know what? Benny Williams came in today, and I still think he's shaking off some rust and getting his conditioning back in there. But he made two three-pointers as well. So again, you know, if your forwards can combine for six to eight threes in a game, that would be, you know, now now you're starting to talk. 
that would that be timing cool. of getting Benny back in there, the timing of the suspension, you know, the message that Adrian Autry had to send for whatever a violation of team rules was there, but you needed him in Hawaii, gets three games in a row here. And that's a long flight. Now they got there late last week, which was a smart thing to do. Adjust jet lag. Anybody that's been to Hawaii, I have not. I've only heard, you know, that could take you a day. That's why you go lay on the beach first day in, in Hawaii, right? Just to kind of let the jet lag wash over you a little bit. But as Donna noted, Mike, they've been practicing. So it was 2.30 Eastern time, 9.30 Hawaii time. By the way, it's going to be the same time they play tomorrow. As Mike and I speak, we do not know if they're going to play Purdue or Gonzaga at this point, but we do know they will play at the same time. So at least, you know, you want to see some wins and play at different times, meaning you're moving up uh, the, the times in terms of getting closer to prime time, if you will. But at least they play at the same time tomorrow, and, and they've been in as good of a rhythm as they can be there having practiced pretty much that time since they've been there. Yeah, it's a long trip, but it's it's the same trip for all the teams that are out there playing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I did think it was interesting. They they purposely went probably a day earlier than they have in the past in, in order to get an extra day in out there, an extra day of practice. Again, avoid the jet lag. The other thing, too, is, you know, they threw in a trip to Pearl Harbor, which I think is great for the guys to make, you know, turn some, at least a part of a trip like this into a, you know, an educational, if not cultural uh, type of trip. So good for them. You know, again, you know, to get Benny back in there is good, but now it's not just the practice time that he's making up, but you're, you're trying to get him back into the game flow as well. But, man, he, he, he looked a lot better today than he did in the Colgate game. So he is a guy who I think can help make a difference as they move on, not just through this tournament, but throughout the rest of the uh, you know, pre, you know, early part of the season before we get to the heart of the ACC schedule in January couple more numbers from this one that stand out. We mentioned that pressure defense that Tennessee plays. 18 to 6 points off turnovers. What was interesting there, Mike, is the, t- the turnovers were actually kind of even. Tennessee had 16, Syracuse had 15. Just Tennessee got more points off of them. We mentioned the, the inside play rebounding a huge tilt towards Tennessee, 48 to 33 overall, particularly on the offensive end where they outscored Syracuse 13 to 6. Second chance points were big for Tennessee, outscoring Syracuse there 14 to 5. Tennessee with 14 assists to Syracuse's nine at this point. Uh, Mike, any uh, anything we have not discussed so far? Any other thoughts on some things that, that stood out to you and maybe some things to keep an eye on here regardless of opponent in the next uh, c- couple of days as Syracuse is two more uh, that will play before Thanksgiving on Thursday? Yeah, you mentioned Tennessee winning that points-off turnovers comparison. They, I think you said 18 points-off turnovers. Yeah. That's because they, they forced Syracuse into a season-high 15 turnovers. And while the number of turnovers were close, most of Tennessee's turnovers were dead ball turnovers. I mean, they right. stepped out of yeah. bounds four times. So a dead ball turnover, yeah. you know, for the, I mean, a lot of our listeners and, and the people watching, they, they understand this. But for those that don't, a dead ball turnover means the whistle blows, the game stops. And then, you know, like if, if Tennessee commits a turnover, then Syracuse has to take the ball out of bounds. Tennessee has a chance to get back on defense. So you're still now having to go up against that tough Tennessee defense. A lot of Syracuse's turnovers were flat out open ball, you know, live action turnovers. You know, Tennessee was picking off passes or Syracuse was throwing the ball away and Tennessee could get their transition game going. And all of a sudden now they're not having to go against Syracuse's half court defense or whether it was zone or man didn't matter, but you know, Tennessee's able to get going. And for two teams that were kind of struggling at times today, offensively, 
to get any sort of transition points or points where you don't have to go up against that other team's set defense, that's a huge advantage. So, yeah, I, I, it would be great to go. I might go back and look at the tape again just to see how many of Tennessee's turnovers were dead ball ones. But I'm going to wager at least half, if not more than that. I think you're right about that. And you mentioned how many times they stepped out of bounds. Court's the same size in Hawaii, too, guys. Everybody made the same trip. And uh, as far as I know, sure the dimensions are the that, same. Brent. I think Tennessee plays on a much wider court. In Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get used to the jet lag and the size of the court in Hawaii. Everything's different. Five hours behind us. Everybody's getting used to that at this point. So as we mentioned, at the moment Mike and I are speaking here, uh, we don't know if it's Purdue or Gonzaga. Either way, that is going to be a handful for Syracuse on Tuesday, and then we'll see uh, what plays out on Wednesday here. But all told, like this is just, I think, as good of an experience as you could give this team. You know, put yourself against, as it was noted on the ESPN broadcast, the best Maui field probably ever put together. And Maui's loaded every year. It's one of the best tournaments you will you will see all year. So uh, as Judge Schmales once said, how do, how do you judge yourself against other golfers? And it is quite literally by height in this case because you're going to be playing some bigger, more physical teams. And what Syracuse will do to adjust to that, you mentioned the things that Autry has to do to adjust this team. So tomorrow, maybe you'll look for a game where Judah Mintz is not in foul trouble and he can distribute. What has Justin Taylor learned from a day? Mike, we hear this from players all the time. Sometimes they just want to get back out there and play. You don't want to have this situation where you see what happens and then you got to wait a week to get back out there. The best remedy, just get out there and play again and you don't have time to think and and overthink it and look at film 14 times. Like, okay, I get it. I wasn't in this position or I missed this shot. Like, just get out there and do it again. So what an experience there. And if I recall correctly, Mike, you're the stat guy on this stuff. Is this Syracuse's first ever loss in this event? It is their first loss in the Maui Invitational. I thought so. Of course, yeah. it's not their first loss in Maui because the tournament this year is being held in Honolulu, not Maui. So right. we have an asterisk there. Okay. But now, this That's is true. Syracuse had been to this tournament three times previously, and they'd won the championship all three times. Uh, I think it was, you know, I remember the years, but it's like whether it was like 1990 or 91, but 1990, 1998, and 2013. Um, winning the championship each of those times. It's not their first loss in Hawaii. Uh, I remember at least the, the trip to the Rainbow Classic in the 95-96 season. Uh, Syracuse did lose out there to UMass with Mar- Marcus Camby. Oh, wow. I forgot about that one. Huh. Yeah. There you go. He's We're full of it, folks. Like Ryan Blackwell at Illinois days. Because uh, wow. Syracuse played Illinois with Ryan Blackwell as a freshman for the Illini. I don't want to date myself, but we're talking my senior year in high school days as well. I knew I hated you. (laughs) So we will be back at it tomorrow, folks, uh, on Tuesday, depending on when you're listening to this. And we know when, uh, about the same time, right around 5 o'clock-ish or so. uh, Mike will not be joining us tomorrow. We're going to bring in Donna from Hawaii. I don't know if she'll be on the beach or where she's going to do it from. Maybe a a little nice scenery. Uh, from where she is in Honolulu. So uh, with that, uh, we know Mike is going to be enjoying the holidays coming up here in the next couple of days. And I don't know if I'll talk to you before then, Mike. So I just want to say happy Thanksgiving to you and yours and enjoy the the holiday and the time here. And I know you'll be keeping track of what's going on, but uh, I know we won't be uh, talking to you the rest of the week here on the podcast. So uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. 
Thank you, Brent. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And yeah, I, I, I would love to be here with you on the pod over the next couple of days after these games, but uh, we're going to be taking the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with family. And uh, I'll be back at it uh, when Syracuse returns uh, to the Dome next Tuesday against LSU. Yeah, exactly. No rest for the weary. They get back from Hawaii and they got the SEC-ACC challenge to come. So thanks to Mike. Thanks to all of our Syracuse Sports Insiders. 315-847-3895. Text the word ORANGE to that number. Try it free for two weeks. It's just $3.99 a month after that, and you get my first opinions. I gave our football insiders a nugget about a guy who I think is hot and heavy for the Syracuse football coaching search, and that's Bob Chesney, the coach at Holy Cross. So keep an eye on that. You text me, I text you, direct access and uh, insider stuff and first opinions, and it's been a lot of fun so far. You guys are bringing some great questions so far, so let's keep that going, and our Syracuse Sports Insiders get priority here on this podcast to get their voice heard. For Mike Waters, I'm Brent Dax. Thanks to our friends at Krause Health, the exclusive health care provider for SU Athletics. The Orange lose to Tennessee 73-56. to They'll be back at it at the Maui Invitational on Tuesday, and we'll be back with you with another post-game show after that game.